The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.
years ago, Carl and I, we were part of a Adelaide local church here in, uh, in Brisbane. We've gone back many, many years, actually. And that church actually had sent out a, a mission team, as churches have done in the past. They sent out mission teams to, to different places. And, and uh, this particular mission team had gone to the Solomon Islands. Uh, and they just got there near, uh, near uh, Easter Cup in New Guinea. And uh, they'd gone there to, uh, to um, you know, partner with the church and to help build a, a new church building for them and a few other bits and pieces. And uh, they were there for a couple of weeks. And when they came back, they uh, got to, to sort of share in a service a little bit about their time away and, and, and what had taken place. They got to share a bit about how they, you know, how the work had gone, how much, you know, how they progressed in that, about how, um, you know, they'd seen God at work in the midst of, of that work and how they themselves had been challenged and, uh, you know, in their own faith and, uh, and built up in their own faith as they uh, met with God's people there in, a, in another culture and as they saw how they interacted, you know, and how they lived out their faith with God. It was uh, you know, a tremendous uh, report that they brought back. And one of the things which kind of stood out for me, for me, particularly from that report, was they were talking about going to church on the Sunday. And uh, they... Uh, uh, had, uh, had arrived at the church. The church was set down for a certain time. I think it might have been 9 or 9.30 in the morning or something like that. And, uh, and people kind of just wandered in, you know, sort of uh, 9 o'clock came and, and went and people were sort of coming in, just operating on a bit like island time. And eventually all the people gathered together and they started the service. And the service went for three hours. And they, they had the service outside. And they're just kind of thinking to themselves, this is a little bit strange. We've got a new church, and you know, we're sort of meeting outside. Why on earth we wouldn't go in there? Anyway, they, they uh, had this service, and then at the end of the service, they thought, well, okay, fine. And then the people started to move inside the building. And the people, and, and the, the team thought, well, okay, what's, what's kind of going on here? And they said, well, actually, we're now going in for the, the, the proper church service itself. And they said, well, well, what was that? And the people said, well, that was actually just to prepare our hearts to come before God. And, you know, what, that sort of really kind of uh, just uh, stood out to me, that these people would have such a reverence for God that before they actually came in to actually preach, you know, to worship God, to give His word, they would actually spend this time, three hours in fact, out there in the hot sun, preparing their hearts uh, before God, preparing themselves to come into His presence. And I kind of thought about that, in, you know, in terms of my own um, uh, experience of church at that particular time. And, you know, I used to show up to church and, uh, and, and really not giving much thought to, to preparing my heart to actually come before God on that Sunday as, as we met together as God's people. And I never really sort of gave, you know, much consideration, uh, you know, prior to the service of the God to whom I was coming before with my worship. You know, it was just something we, we, we did on a Sunday. We, we, we came to church. We, we, you know, we sort of got together. We sort of caught up with people before the service and after the service. We, we sort of, we, uh, we came in, we sang some praise and worship songs. You know, we, uh, we heard, you know, uh, uh, the Word of God, you know, uh, uh, read and, and, and preached. You know, we, uh, we, we heard, you know, we, we had someone pray on our behalf. And uh, one of the things which, you know, sort of take away from a, from a service on Sunday was, was that, well, did that really kind of meet my needs that day, that service? You know, was the, were the songs songs that I like to hear? You know, was the message something which, you know, I thought, oh, well, that's a really good challenging kind of a message. I could go away to the feeling, well, that was, that was a really kind of good service. And that was the, the mindset that I had back then. 
said, the mindset that, that, that I, I, I was, which really didn't have much or give much thought to, was, well, how did God actually, what did God think about my worship that day? What did God think about my heart attitude that day as I met with Him? As I came before Him, gathered with His people. I wonder, how do you think about God and the way in which you approach Him and the way in which you serve Him? This is the, the subject of our message this morning. And you might recall if we go back to last week, just to give a bit of a background, you know, the people of God, the, uh, the people of Israel, they've been in uh, exile in Babylon and Persia for almost 70 years. Uh, and, and God brings some of the people back, what's called the remnant, and they come back in stages. And they've now been back in the land. When it comes to the time of Malachi, they've been back in the land for, for around about 100 years, almost a century. You know, the, uh, the temple has been rebuilt, the walls of the city of Jerusalem have, have been rebuilt, and the, and the people are kind of in the land, and they've been expecting that God now would, would bring his Messiah, that the, that the promised Messiah would come, God would set up his, his glorious eternal kingdom, the people would experience this, this lasting peace and prosperity, but yet the reality for them was nothing like that. Instead, life was hard. They were still under the rule of a foreign power and they began to doubt God's love and faithfulness. This is what Mark preached on last week. God reminding the people of his love for them. And although the people kind of continued in their worship of God, you know, going through all the different sacrifices and things like that, it had become to them something of a, 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 that was done more out of just ritual and routine than really out of a, a heart, a deep heart attitude of worship to God. These people had become apathetic in their faith. They had failed to give God that, that proper honor and reverence and, and respect that was due to Him. We see that as we pick up our passage this morning in, in verse 6, where you know, God says, you know, if, if a son honors his father and a servant his master, if, God, if then I am a father, and God, you know, makes it very, very clear that he is the father of his people. He's acted like a father to them over, over hundreds of years, watching over them and caring for them and, and bringing them to, me to himself. God says, if I am a father, where is my honor? He goes on to say, and if I am a master, where is my fear? Where is, where is the, 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 the proper reverence and respect that is due me? And what God says, He says, I don't see And God, you know, he, 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 He's pointing out particularly in this passage to preach. He says, where is, my, where is my honor? Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? Now, the priests had this role within the people of Israel. Their role was to, to be a mediator between the people and God. They were the ones who were to, to, to teach the people about God and about His Word. They were the ones who were to offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so that the, the, the God and his people could maintain that relationship together. And God says that, that these priests, these people who had such a, 
uh, an incredibly uh, significant, important role in the, the, the worship and in the, the whole life of the people of Israel. These priests were despising the name of God. But of course, the priests were only offering that which was brought to them by the people. And so when we, when we see that God is singling out the priests here, yes, he's singling out the leaders particularly, but he's also saying that to, to, to them, you're offering these sacrifices. You're not actually even saying to the people that these sacrifices aren't good enough for God. There's no challenge on the part of the priests to the people of Israel. And so they all stand guilty before God of despising God's name. If you're taking notes of me this morning in your, uh, in your booklet there, your study booklet, the first point that you might like to, uh, to list down is this, that God's name is to be honoured and feared. God's name is to be honoured and feared. Through his prophet Malachi, God confronts his people. And, 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 he, and he confronts them with regards to their careless attitude towards him in their worship of God. And God accuses them of despising and defiling his name. One of the things we, we need to understand here is that, that God's name is, is, central, is a central theme of this passage. Okay, seven times it's referred to in just nine verses. So when, when something is repeated in Scripture, particularly it's repeated time and time again, it is one of the most, one of the things that we've really got to oh, prick our ears up and actually take notice of in God's Word. Because it's one of the key, the, the, the most significant things that God is emphasizing here. And He's emphasizing the, His name. And God's name encompasses everything about Him. It speaks of, of God's character. It speaks of His reputation. It speaks of His worth and His presence with His people. It, it, God's name encompasses everything about Him. We see a number of references in Scripture to the, to the significance of the name of God, but one of the key, key passages is found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 to 8. And it's where Moses has, has asked God if, if, if he could just see God's face. And, uh, and, and, Mo, and, and God sort of kind of um, sealed Moses in the cleft of the rock as he comes past Moses and he declares. And that, I'll just pick it up in verse 4. It says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. Remember, Moses has already smashed the first lot of commandments because he, he's seen the people's uh, uh, false, uh, idolatrous worship of the golden calf. He makes another set of stones, and he rose early in the morning, and he goes up to Mount Sinai, and as the Lord, and he's gone and done it as the Lord commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And we pick it up in verse 6, where it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. And we read in verse 8 and Moses 
quickly bowed his head toward the earth and In response to, the, to God revealing his name to Moses, revealing his, you know, his character, his very essence to Moses, by declaring his name, the Lord, the Lord, God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses, we read, quickly, quickly bows his head toward the earth and worships. When it speaks about bowing his head toward the earth, it's not kind of just like that. It's actually falling flat on his face, prostrate before the Lord. Yeah. Flat on his face with his head. That's how Moses responded to the name of God. But God says to these people here, to these people, He says, Where is my honor? Where is my fear? It's not there, but instead you despise. You despise my name. You treat my name with contempt. You know, to treat something with contempt is to deny its greatness and its glory. It is to completely disrespect something. It is to convey a sense of, of worthlessness and insignificance. And this is what God is saying. He's simply saying, when you come before me, you deny my greatness and my glory. You, you completely disrespect me. You, you, you see me as being worthless and insignificant. You know, God's whole purpose in all of creation is the promotion of His glory. And as His people, our goal should be to give glory and honor to God. There are numerous passages through Scripture which speaks about you know, God's glory being displayed in the earth. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 1 is a, is a classic one. Uh, let me just, yeah, there it is. No, there we go. God's whole purpose. Psalm 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. In other words, God's glory is far grander and, and, and much more majestic than anything else in all of creation. Psalm 72 verse 19 says, Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen, amen. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's glory is going to fill the whole earth. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The glory of God. We need to give careful thought and consideration to that in our lives. Because that is God's ultimate purpose, that He would be glorified in all things. And God, because He is God, says that He will receive that honor and glory. It's not whether or not we give it to Him or not, but God will receive it. 
God will be glorified. You know, the surprising aspect of this passage is that the proper honor and reverence of God, the proper giving glory to God, actually comes from the least likely place here in this passage. It comes from the Gentiles, from the nations. Look in verse 11 with me. God says, picking up in verse 11, he says here, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. My name will be glorified. And in every place, incense will be offered to to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now, instead of it being great amongst God's people, Israel, God says, my name will be great among the nations. The Gentiles will praise it. Remember when Jesus actually you know, came into uh, the, uh, to Jerusalem for the last time? We, we read about it uh, in the, uh, the, 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 triumphal, the, the triumphal entry of Christ that, you know, prior to that week before he could rise on the cross. And Jesus comes in on that, that Palm Sunday and he rides into Jerusalem and the people cry out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah to, to Jesus! Praise God! And the Pharisees, you know, say to Jesus, now why do you let these people get away with that? And Jesus says, well, if they kept quiet, even the rocks would cry out to me. Even the rocks would cry out. There is nothing that could prevent the name of God, God in all his splendor, from being glorified and worshipped in this world. And he will be worshipped. Whether we do it on bended knees, or whether we do that voluntarily, or whether we do it, you know, we are forced into doing that. God says, I will be doing Philippians 2, chapter 5, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, speaks about, you know, Christ coming to, to earth. It leaves all of his glory behind. And what does it say at the end of that passage? It says, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will indeed be glorified. And folks, as God's people, our purpose and our honor should be to bring glory to God by loving Him above all else, by loving one another, by proclaiming the gospel, the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ among the nations, so that all people will glorify God's name. You know, we uh, sometimes hear about churches and you know, they've got these wonderful mission statements and vision statements and things like that. Each and every one of us should have a mission statement above our lives, and that mission statement should be to bring honor and glory to God. Simple as that. And everything we, we are about in our lives should have as that honor to bring honor and glory to God. But like the people and priests of Malachi's day, we are so guilty of not doing so. And also, like them, we can be blind to our we pick up in verse, in verse, at the end of, of, of verse 5, 
says, you know, where is, where is my fear, says the Lord, a peace that is Christ my name? But you say, how have we described your name? God says, by offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Well, how do they do this? How do they do this? So we're going to pick that up now. The next point, if you're following along, is that is, is this honor that is not honor at all. That's point two. Now, God points out that, that proper respect is, is shown in human relationships, or usually shown in human relationships. But with the people of God, it's not shown to him. And they ask him, you know, Malachi, he uses this kind of, um, he uses this kind of tool on many occasions in, 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 in this book, where he kind of uses a question. He's kind of preempting what's going on in the minds of his listeners. And God is, is you know, is, is, is prompting Malachi in his mind, you know, to, to ask these questions. How have we despised your name? How have we defiled you? Well, God goes on to say that the through the offering that they bring him. You know, it's funny, isn't it, that these people, they're, they're surprised. They're surprised by God's criticism and judgment. One of the things that, you know, that if we reflect on that, it, it should remind us that, that we can think that we as God's people are offering God acceptable worship when we're actually not. That's what the people of, of, of Malachi's day were doing. They were, they were offering what they thought was acceptable to worship to God. They were going through all of the religious rituals and everything like that, but God confronted them and said, you think this is worthy and acceptable of me? Well, I'm telling you another thing. It is not. It is far from it. And folks, the danger for us as the people of God is that we can just go through the motions of worshiping God, but really not be worshiping at all in our lives. People were offering poor quality sacrifices in the works of God. And God says to them in verse 9, He says, You know, you would not even dare offer anything like this to your Persian government. You know, they're, 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 even though they're back in the land, they're still under the rule of, of Persia. They've still got a governor. And, and uh, um, uh, Nehemiah had actually had, had that role already with the people. He'd been a, a, you know, the Nehemiah's governor there in, in, in the land of Israel as they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah's now gone back to Babylon, to, to Persia, and uh, they're under another Persian governor. And God says, you know, if you brought these kind of sacrifices to the, to the governor, would he accept them? Knowing full well that they knew full well that he wouldn't. God says, well, why not would you bring those same sacrifices to me thinking that I will accept them? The sacrificial system that was so essential to the people's relationship with God. These sacrifices, they provided the means by which a, a person could have their sins forgiven, atoned for, or to avert God's righteous and holy judgment upon them. And these sacrifices also, what they did, they, they enabled the people to continually experience the presence of God and the blessing of God with them. And when bringing these sacrifices before God, when bringing these offerings before God, it was set down in the law 
what that sacrifice had to be, the, the, the quality of that sacrifice. It had to be the best of the best. And then you see that in Leviticus 22, 7 to 22, where we read these words. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that the priesthood, and all the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or their free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow, or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or stabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. And yet what this passage tells us clearly is that the sacrifices that were being offered were far from the best. The animals that were being offered were lame, they were blind, they were diseased, and they were injured. You see that in verse 8 and verse 13. In verse 8, God says, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? In verse 13, He says, You know, you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. God makes clear that these kind of sacrifices actually show that these people despise God's name instead of worshiping Him. And it gets to the point that God says that I would rather that someone just shut the doors of the temple and nothing get offered to me. I am so, because I am so disgusted with this kind of worship that I wish. That they would just, you would just stop playing games with me and just shut the doors and forget all about it. There's a, uh, quite a, um, a dramatic passage in Leviticus 10 that speaks about the offering of unacceptable worship to God. And it comes actually from Adam's own two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And we read in Leviticus 10 that they tried to offer unauthorized sacrifices to God. Do you know what happened to them? God consumed them with fire. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 tells us this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a God is not to be sacrificed. God is not to be sacrificed. As God's people today, we do not have to bring sacrifices to be accepted of the God 
have the receipts of the Easter Instead, God Himself has provided the sacrifice. We sung about that this morning. Jesus Himself has offered up the perfect sacrifice once and for all in order to make us right with God for all those who put their faith in Christ. Hebrews 10 speaks about that. Jesus, we are told in the scriptures, he, he credits his righteousness, his complete perfectness in obedience to the Father and to the Father's law. God imputes that righteousness to us on our behalf and reconciles us to God so that we can be adopted into the family of God as His treasured children and be objects of His special blessing and love. And there's nothing that can change this because the Bible goes on to tell us that God loves us despite our sin. That God loves us despite our failure to worship Him as we should. And so, when we're speaking of our worship of God today, I don't want you to, to, to think you know, in your own mind that unless I offer this perfect worship and, 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 and give God all the glory in my life, that God is going to reject me. Jesus himself has already measured up for you to, to God's perfect standard. Jesus has done that. And as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, then Jesus' righteousness is credited to our account before God. So our worship of God does not become a means of trying to earn His favor, but what it does become is the means by which we express our thankfulness and our gratitude and our loyalty and our devotion to the God who has already saved us. Think about that. Think about what God has done for you personally in Jesus Christ. That He would reach out to you in your sin. When you were walking in ways which just despised and dishonored God in every single way, shape, or form you could possibly think of. When you thumbed your nose at God, when you chose you know, to, to reject God and His ways, God looked down on you and He reached out to you and He spoke to you in your heart through His Spirit and He called you, He drew you to Himself out of His love. And he said, you will never, ever, ever measure up. So I'm going to provide the sacrifice through Christ on your behalf so that you don't have to. It's done for you. And God says that that, that, that love and that blessing can never be taken away. No matter what, no matter you know, how imperfect we are, no matter how much we struggle with sin in our lives, if our faith and trust is in Christ, that can never be taken away. But if we do respond 
for the love that God has shown to us in Christ. That we ourselves would want to, that we would want to give God everything, would we? Wouldn't we? How can we honor God in this way? How can we give God the honor to His name? This is point three. You know, some of the offerings that were laid down in the law were designed to secure God's forgiveness of sin. But, but others were meant to express the people's thanksgiving to God for His provision in their lives, and some were used to express their love and their devotion towards God. We come to the New Testament, we see passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, which reminds us that we are not our own that we were brought at a price. Therefore, we are to honour God and give glory to God in our body. Once again, one thing that you take away from this message this morning is this. You, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Jesus as your, as your Savior and your Lord, you are no longer your own. You no longer have any right or authority over your life. But instead, those things belong to God and God alone. Because He has redeemed you for Himself. He has purchased you. He has brought you to Himself. Back in the opening verse of this book, God reminds the people of His life for the how he made them his very own. In Jesus, God has redeemed all who put their faith and trust in him. All those who recognize their debt of sin before God and know, know in their hearts that they already stand condemned before God, deserving of God's holy wrath. And yet through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, to the depth of God's love, the depth of God's love in providing Jesus as our Savior, it should be that that so overwhelms us with thankfulness that there is nothing that we would, we would not hold back from giving to God in our lives. And when it comes to honoring God, we need to understand that our worship one of the things which I sort of struggled with a bit with today was, you know, when it comes about speaking about, you know, how can we give God the honor and glory in our lives? You know, I could come up with all these kind of different, um, um, you know, examples of how we do that. You know, prescriptive things of how to do that. But the danger is in, in me giving us prescriptive things is that we can just take just those few things and think, right, that's it. If I do that, if I do what Duncan tells me, if I tick those boxes, then that's going to be right. These are the sorts of things which, which each of us, we need to come before God and prayerfully before God and, and ask God how, how we can give Him that rightful worship and glory and honor in our lives. But there are some, some, uh, some, some clear passages in Scripture, and, and a couple of them, the first is in Romans 12, where Paul says, that in view of God's mercy, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. 
We have to offer our bodies, our very selves, everything about us. We have to lay down on God's altar and say, God, this is yours, not mine. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that whatever we do, we have to do it all for the glory of God. See, worshipping God is not just a, a checklist of, of, of things, but it is a whole of life thing. It means, it means recognizing that we need to place God in that place of utmost importance and priority in every aspect of our lives, putting His purposes and His glory above our own. We have to give God our very best. See, the people in Malachi's day thought that they could just give God leftovers. They thought that they could just placate God with these, these pitiful offerings that ultimately didn't really cost them anything at all. But the thing is, when it comes to, to offering God, you know, the kind of genuine worship and honor that, that He alone is, is deserving of, then, then, then God wants to, He doesn't want these things active, but He wants our heart. God wants your very heart. Now, any, par- any parent will know, you know, like, when Carl and I were raising our daughter, I used to get so frustrated at times with, 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 with the girls when they wouldn't do as they were asked. You know? and, and my response to that was to use the stick, not literally, but you know what I mean. It was, it was judgment and punishment. You know, to sort of, you know, try to, to make the girls do what I wanted them to do. And oftentimes they would do it eventually. It took them a while, but they'd do it eventually. But what I really wanted was, was their heart to say, not, not fight me, not disobey me and disrespect me, but, but their heart to say, God, I love you. I know you've got my best interest at heart. And so I'm just going to do this just out of obedience and respect and love for you as my God. We can be like the child with God, and we can we can just go about, you know, doing the you know the the the, the, the acts of, of of service and, and, and obedience to God, and but we can do it even when our heart, when God doesn't have our heart. And God says, that, "I don't want that. I don't want that. I just want your heart." Does God have your heart? Does God truly have your heart? Or is your heart, does your heart belong to other things? If anything like mine, there it goes. Our hearts do belong to so many other things, don't they? But for the believer, folks, our only life is to give God our very Working towards that, and we'll have we'll take you know steps forward, and we'll have we'll take steps back in that. Because God has already offered the perfect sacrifice, it's not up to us to earn God's love and love. We've already got that, and so we come to the cross, we confess our sins, and we move forward again, afresh, a new start in God each and every day. Will you join me this morning as we, we just uh, 
have a, 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 a short prayer of dedication at church today. Just a short dedication, saying to God, Lord, I know that there are, you know, there are lots of things in this world today that would probably have my heart. But Lord, will you please help me to surrender more and more of my heart to you? So that these things become less and less, and you become more and more. Because that's the rightful place of God is in, doesn't it? Just like that. Father, so this morning we, uh, we just we come and meet our children. Lord, we do stay in our seats today. I pray the attitude of our hearts would be, Lord, that we would indeed bow before you, that we would prostrate ourselves before you, even though it might be metaphorical, Lord. For you alone are worthy of all honor and glory. And Lord, we confess, we confess afresh to you today, but Lord, that we have sought to, to bring to you sacrifices that are really not worthy of you, Lord. We've got to confess today that we ourselves have been guilty of just going through the motions in our spiritual life. Of just, you know, that, that routine kind of stuff, Lord, and just giving you the leftovers. Giving you that, that stuff in our lives, Lord, which we think, oh, well, that's just going to have to do you today, God. Lord, help us to, to realize that, that all that you've done for us, Lord, that that you would, you would just impress that upon our hearts so that, Lord, our hearts would become so encapsulated, so enraptured by your love, by your goodness, that we would want to, to give you the very best in our lives each and every day. Lord, help us to be those people. Lord, help us to encourage one another in that. Lord, that you might receive the glory that you alone deserve from us in our lives. Help us today and always to find Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.